Hey, what's up? My name is Austin Bollinger, founder of Daily New Year's, a blog and podcast dedicated to helping you identify, set, and crush your goals all year long. And this week, I am back with an exciting interview with special guest Rocco Coza. So I first connected with Rocco on Instagram, and then we started chatting on LinkedIn, and I just found him to be a truly inspiring guy. He's already done a lot of incredibly cool things in his life, including breaking a state powerlifting record and speaking on a TEDx stage in Canada. And he just has an incredibly awesome message about kindness. And so I asked him to come on the show today to share that message with us along with some of his other life experiences. And I think you're going to get a ton of value out of this episode. So first, a little bit about Rocco. Rocco has had a passion for entrepreneurship and helping others since he was just a child. He started his first business selling baseball cards to neighborhood kids during grade school, which then evolved into helping them sell their cards. Rocco went on to obtain a BA in psychology, an MBA, and a JD. He began practicing law over 15 years ago and started his own firm, the Law Office of Rocco E. Coza, in 2013 to help entrepreneurs and business owners the way in which he wanted. Since then, he has co-founded multiple businesses, from real estate to his business coaching and talent management company, The Coza Company, where he advises former professional athletes, entertainers, musicians, and entrepreneurs. Recently, he published a book called The Alpha Way, Five Keys to Unlocking Your Greatness and Living Your Best Life. In a profession not known for it, Rocco takes a unique approach to business and the practice of law by leading with kindness. He is always willing to give his time to anyone that needs it and believes that the unbillable hour matters most. Rocco also donates his time to various causes and is the president of the board of directors of Alpha House, a behavioral rehab treatment in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania that has been in existence since the 70s. Rocco is married to his wife, Laura, a health and wellness coach, and has three children, Gabe, Eliana, and Melina. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Rocco Coza to the podcast. Rocco, thanks for joining me. Thank you, man. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, before we jump into our topic today or just our general discussion, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So what I like to tell people is... I'm an entrepreneur that happens to practice law for a living. I'm a lawyer by trade. I have owned and operated many businesses over my career. I'm a father of three amazing kids, a husband to an amazing wife. And all around, you know, I have been on this mission lately to spread the message of kindness in especially the business world. And it's just been something I've been passionate about. You know, I do coaching. I just did a, uh, a keynote speech yesterday morning on this topic. So do a lot of different stuff, but that's been my passion as of late, really spreading that message. And I actually got a chance to speak on a TEDx stage in January on the topic of kindness and business. So it's become my passion as of late. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think the TEDx thing is kind of what drew me to your website. I think I've connected with you on Instagram and then found yeah. you on LinkedIn and 
I have a friend who recently spoke on a TEDx stage, um, and I didn't know that you could just apply uh, to yeah. do that. And if you're lucky enough to get selected, you're in. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it's a really cool process. You know, the, the TED conference one in California, that's the three-day one where speakers are invited. You know, TEDx events, they're independently organized. So, you know, you can apply to them. But the, the pro- what I found in doing that, the process is vigorous. You've got to really have a message that is worth spreading and it has to fit within that event's discussion. The right. one I spoke at was in Canada and it was – the topic of the event was solve for X. They were trying to find big problems out there to solve for. And I, and I, I worked with a lot of other speakers and a lot of people try and do these types of TEDx talks on motivation, on things like that. You have, what I found is that you really have to have a very distinct message, problem and solution. And that's, that's kind of how you get through that process of you know, speaking on a TEDx stage. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you're just going to go out there and talk about something in general, they could, you know, they could get anybody for that. But if you have right. a very specific message that you want to take to the world and I think exactly. you have that. Uh, so listening to some of your material, you know, I've heard you say that there's a big problem in the world that people look at kindness as a weakness. Uh, but you say that that's your biggest strength. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit, maybe spread your message here and talk about the importance of kindness and positivity in general. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've always approached life that way. Now I was, I was raised very well by my mother and my grandmother and they instilled in me at a young age, kindness, treat everybody with common decency, dignity, and respect. Whether, you know, the person's the janitor or the CEO, you treat everyone the same. I've always just approached my life that way and in business as well. And I, this first came to my attention that it was a problem when I spoke at a high school. I was asked to speak to high school kids about my career journey as an entrepreneur and a lawyer. And so I did this nice long talk. And at the end, I opened it up for discussion. And one kid asked me a question and said, what's the one thing out of everything you talked about today that matters most? And I told him kindness. And everyone in that room looked at me like I was crazy. So I knew there was this problem out there. People look, you know, there's this big misnomer in society and especially in the business world that if you're kind, you're weak. If you're nice, you're weak. And I've always believed kindness has been my biggest strength. And if you look at some of the greatest companies out there, some of the greatest leaders within those companies, they are also the most kind and compassionate people there are. And we just need to shift that perspective. You know, people have, you know, there's this perspective that if you're kind, you're weak. And, and again, the, the second time I realized this problem, I was speaking to some lawyers here in Pittsburgh, you know, I'm a lawyer. So I was asked to do some executive coaching mm-hmm. for the local bar association. It was for women lawyers. It was a group called the women leaders in the law. And I did this executive workshop. And at the end I was talking to my group and kindness came up and all of them in the room agreed like how important it was and that it mattered. But every single one of them all said the only thing they were rated negatively for on their performance reviews was that they were too nice. Wow. And I looked at like, these are women, these are future women leaders in the law. They are the high performers within the legal community, yet they're being told their kindness is being stifled because they're told that's a negative quality. And I completely disagree. Yeah. And why is that? Are are they, are people afraid they're going to be walked all over or not taken seriously? Why do you think? I, I think people fear vulnerability. 
that's really what it is. If I, if I break it down and get to the essence of the problem, I believe it's people fear vulnerability. If you're kind, they feel you can be vulnerable. Right. You know, I, if I'm kind to a person, I can open up my heart to them. I can give them my time and, and just do those nice things. But people think that makes you vulnerable, especially look in my profession, the legal, the legal world, you know, we're taught to be adversarial and, and you know, hard nose and dominant. You know, we've got to win, 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 win. I've approached it completely different my entire career without thinking of any return I would get or any expectation of any return. And it's led to the most amazing opportunities in my life. And it just had this, this, the perspective has to shift because the data is out there to support the importance of kindness and the benefit of kindness in life and in the workplace. Right. That's awesome. So you said kindness is your biggest strength. And I was reading on your website kind of over the, this past weekend, and there was yeah. a paragraph on there that I kind of just highlighted here. You said okay. that uh, you spent years trying, doing, and failing from bad business deals to losing a ton of money. I have done it all. I have made every mistake in the book. But the one thing I didn't do was quit. I kept gr- going, growing, and learning, and I got better every day. Um, so if kindness is your biggest strength, has it ever been... Uh, the reason that you've maybe failed at something? Yeah. I mean, look, it, 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 if I answer the question, honestly, I would say maybe. Okay. And it's, it's one of those things where I I always tell people don't mistake kindness for being a pushover. Right. Kindness is treating people with dignity, with respect, not thinking you're better than anyone. It's not just doing whatever people want because you feel like you have to be nice. Right. You have to find that line. You have to draw that line in the sand. And I, I've become so self-aware and so aware of, you know, having so much situational awareness to know when a client or a business partner or a friend or a colleague is taking advantage of my kindness. And I don't treat them in any disrespectful way. I just back away from that relationship. And it may have led to, you know, some things happening, but, you know, failure is part of life. Mistakes are part of life. And if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. So as you kind of indicated, it can be tough to know when your kindness is causing you to be uh, taken advantage of. Uh, But of course, we all want to be as kind as we can. So as you've navigated that in your own life, have you ever struggled to be kind? Yeah, I mean, look, am I perfect? Absolutely not. Oh, I mean, sure, nobody my, is. <laughs> you yeah. ask my wife or my friends, they may say, no, he can be a jerk sometimes. And <laughs> But it's, you know, that's human nature, right? But it's, if you if you look at the core of myself, and, and I truly believe this about myself, and I'm just a good-hearted person. I make mistakes. I'm flawed as a human. You know, as human beings, we are flawed by nature. We're imperfect by nature. Right. But. So that means there are moments where I may have not acted the kind way that I should have. But I just always come back to that's always my core foundational leading principle in life. So if I have those one-off bad days, it's okay because I know how I'm really living my life. Right. I think I heard you say on another interview that, you know, you strive for like 80%. You know, no yeah. one no one can keep anything up 100% of the time. But if you can <laughs> if you can keep that going 80, 90% of the time, you're probably doing pretty darn good. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, that's every area of my life. I follow the 80-20 rule when it comes to fitness, when it comes to diet, when it comes to attitude. It just because if you try and there's no such thing as perfection. We can agree to that. I always say. Oh, absolutely. Perfection doesn't exist. It's striving for excellence. 
And if you can perform at a high level or operate in a positive state 80% of the time, that's excellence in my mind. Absolutely. Yeah, I would 100% agree with you. Yeah, Yeah, you're going to have those bad days. You know, you're going to fall off the diet. I'm going to not go to the gym one day. I'm going to do things I shouldn't do. But if I I can stay so self-aware to know that when I'm veering too far off course and I can pull myself back on, that's all that matters. So that 20% bandwidth gives me the flexibility to actually live and be human. And it's, and it's how you react to the situation that other 20% of the time too. So, you know, I think I've heard you say this and I like to subscribe to this too, that Mm -hmm. we are a hundred percent responsible for how we react to life. If it's stuff happening to us, if it, you know, whatever it is, we're a hundred percent responsible. So it sounds like you would agree. Oh, absolutely. I mean, 100% the, and the book that changed my life that made me realize that I read in my late twenties, it was called the success principles. By Jack Canfield, he wrote the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. Right. And in that book, he, t- he talks about taking 100% responsibility for your life. And he gives the formula. It's E plus R equals O. And I, I use this when I speak. I talk to people about it. I apply it in my own life. But it's the event plus the reaction equals the outcome. That's a you good You can always control equation. variables, right? You, I can either control the event or control how I react to it. Therefore, I can always control the outcome of any situation. It makes sense. And to kind of use, you know, playing poker as an analogy, mm-hmm. you know, the best players never play the cards. They can be dealt the worst hands, but it's how they play those cards and, you know, play the situation that makes them good. So we're, we're all dealt bad hands in life. It's how we, yeah. how we play it. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's the choice. And, you know, it's funny. So I was, doing this keynote speech yesterday and this, we were talking about this and I I said to everybody in that room, I said, look, each one of you has the choice to make. You can choose to be kind or not. You can choose to be happy or not. You can choose to help or not, but it all comes down to your choice on how you react to every single thing that happens in life. And some people don't realize that, you know, they believe life happens to them. Some people blatantly disagree too. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. That, that's the problem. But I, I believe firmly, wholeheartedly that we have that ability to make that choice in every single situation. Therefore, we can always control the outcome of a situation. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you're, you're never, you never fail until you quit. And I think the same thing could be applied to how you react. You know, it's, it's only bad if you react poorly. You know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and look, you're going to have those moments. Like I said, we're human. You, you, there's going to be those one-offs where you do react poorly. I still react poorly in certain situations where I just get mad for no reason or frustrated. <laughs> and then I have to kick myself in the butt and say, wait a minute. Right. I'm creating this stress myself. The other person doesn't care. So you just kind of, you, you've got to learn to self-monitor and really tell yourself and, and know when you're going down that path that you shouldn't go down. Right. So, you know, it's, it's important to be kind to others, obviously, but wouldn't you say it's just as important to be kind to ourselves? I write a lot and talk a lot about kind of self-limiting beliefs and negative yeah. self-talk. And in, in a way, that's a form of, you know, not being kind to yourself. So do you have any tips Absolutely. or tricks for, you know, being kind to yourself? That, you know, positive self-talk. I mean, if you talk a lot about that, you're on the right path because that's the truth. It's, you know, you, you have to have self-love. 
if you can't, if you don't love yourself first, how can you love somebody else? If you don't treat yourself kindly, how can you be kind to someone else? Like the airplane example, right? When you're in an airplane and they go through the safety instructions and they say, put on your oxygen mask first. Mm -hmm. You have to take care of yourself first before you can take care of anything else. That applies to love, kindness, all of those things. And the biggest way to be kind to yourself is one, to believe in yourself and two, to talk to yourself in a positive way. The problem is we're programmed as we get become adults out of, you know, we come out of childhood, we're programmed as adults, we talk negatively to ourselves. And you right. have to really make a conscious effort to reprogram your brain and create those triggers. And because your brain is a computer and what you say to yourself is the software. And oh, you absolutely. Have to talk to yourself differently. And that's the easiest, most effective way to be kind, but also the most difficult. People have a hard time doing it. They don't like to talk to themselves in that way. It feels funny. You know, right. those positive. I remember the first time I did positive affirmations, you know, they say, look in the mirror, mm -hmm. and say those things. It feels super weird looking at myself and saying, I am awesome. I am, you know, I'm a positive inspiration. Like saying that while looking yourself in the eyes is the most difficult experience when you first do it. But over time, it makes you feel completely different. And it's funny because we spend the most time with ourselves and our, and our yeah. own internal voice. And, you know, you said people aren't kind to others because it's, it's vulnerable. I would mm -hmm. say doing positive self-affirmations, even though you're by yourself, somehow mm -hmm. it's, you're, you have to be vulnerable with yourself and you have to, yes. you know, realize that, you know, this isn't for lack of a better word, you know, we're dudes. Uh, sissies, yeah. you know, I'm not a sissy if I, you know, am in the yeah. bathroom talking to myself in the mirror, trying to get myself pumped up. Uh, no. But I don't know. It takes some sort of vulnerability, even though you're by yourself. It's kind of weird. Yeah. And I think the vulnerability stems from the fact that when we say those things out loud, we're admitting our faults, right? Oh, yeah. If I'm, yeah. If I'm saying, you know, I am this, that means I want to be that and I'm not there yet. So I'm kind of being vulnerable by admitting my flaws. That's a great it, point. It, it take you have to break that pattern and, and say, I'm okay with it. And, and again, like as a young lawyer, I thought I had to know everything. And if I didn't know everything, I had to fake it like I did. Right. As I progressed in my career, I realized that I don't need to do that at all. I'm perfectly comfortable telling someone I have no idea. I'll help you find the answer. I'll figure it out. I have no idea. I'm fine admitting my mistakes. I'm fine saying it like it is, but it's that come you, you get there when you get past that fear of vulnerability. Right. And people don't come to you as an attorney because you know, everything people come <laughs> to you for your expertise because you know more than they do, you know? And so exactly. you don't have to know a hundred percent. And it's funny because I, I think I've built my practice the way I have because people appreciate my vulnerability. They know that I'm not going to BS them and give them some made up answer. If I, if they come to me and I really don't know, I'll tell, I'll tell them, I don't know. I'll help you find the answer and I'll figure it out, but I can't answer that right now. Or I may not be the right person to do this for you. Sure. And they appreciate that fact because most people in the professional world don't do that. Right. Yeah. They I think mean, they have to know it all. Trust is everything. You know, I work at a website digital agency we build yeah. websites, do digital marketing. And I'm the same way with my clients. They're asking me questions I don't know the answers to. And I'm like, look, I, I'm happy to help you look for this, but I don't know for sure. And I don't know that this product or service we sell is going to solve your problem. 
and it does build trust, you know, being open yeah. and honest with your customers. And, and ultimately I think that's being kind as well, you know, yeah. cause you're not, you're not lying to them. And I, I don't want to start a relationship off promising something I can't deliver personally. Sounds like you do the same. Absolutely. Trust is the foundation of any relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Business personal. And I tell people the best way to build trust is to be kind. And the best way to do that is by just giving someone your time. Mm-hmm. If I give someone my time with zero distractions or no expectation of anything in return, meaning if you come to me and say, I'd love to talk to you, I have a problem. And I say, come on my, in my office. And I close my laptop, put my phone away, put my landline on, do not disturb. And you know you have my undivided attention. And I just listen to you you're going to automatically feel a level of trust with me. Absolutely. Yeah. And, that, and people, people, but people don't get that. I can't tell you how many meetings I've been in where they're, they're looking at their computer screen. They're looking at their phone. They're not giving me the undivided attention. So I can't trust them. Right. And, and trust is a very simple thing, but because of all the distractions we have, people don't build it because they don't know how. Yeah. It's, you know, you boil it down that way and it sounds super simple. I mean, trust sounds, you know, at first glance, like a complex thing that takes a lot of time to build. But when you break it down like that, it it does sound very simple. It's just be kind and ultimately be respectful. Yeah. And and look, it takes time to build. It's not like, you know, you and I sit down one time, you're going to trust me immediately. Trust. And this is something I talked about yesterday. You know, trust is a feeling and you can't really tell when you have it. You just know. Like, right. I can't say this was the moment I started trusting you. I just know. You just have that feeling. But that feeling comes from certain actions, right? Being kind, being dependable, being reliable. Those things help to build that trust. And then one day you just have it. Absolutely. And this is, you know, companies go wrong and they don't focus on building a trusting environment within their organization and within their team because they can't measure it. Yeah. How do you measure trust? I, I don't know that you can. I, I definitely think there's multiple tiers and multiple levels because, you know, sitting down with you one time, I might trust you with my case, you know, or my, sure, exactly. my suit, but then I might not trust you with more personal things until I get to know you better. So I think there's definitely tiers, tiers to Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It, and people just need to understand that it's, it, it, it takes time. It's something that builds, but I, but I also tell people, and especially when I speak to companies, I say the, the wrong thing to do when you're trying to bring someone new on board is tell them they have to earn your trust. Right. I say give that person your trust and let them lose it if they do. Yeah. Because if I tell you, you have to earn my trust, you have no idea what that means. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, right, you don't know what that means to earn my trust, mm-hmm. but you know what it takes to lose a person's trust. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it, it's you know, flipping that simple thing that, that a lot of people do. You know, you have to earn my trust. Well, I'm not going to focus on it. I don't know how to do it, so I don't really care. Yeah, so you, you don't even really make an effort because, exactly. you know, it's kind of like, you know, setting a bad goal where you don't actually know when you've achieved it. Uh, you, you don't <laughs> yeah. usually stay motivated to acquire that goal if you don't even know when the finish line is. Uh, so you exactly. don't even start or you don't even try. That makes total exactly. sense. Exactly. Yeah. 
So talking about trust, I know one of your companies, the Coza company, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, you advise former professional athletes and uh, musicians, entertainers and all kinds of things. So I'm sure you have to build a lot of trust uh, with those people because they're used to being kind of in the spotlight and I'm sure people have tried to take advantage of them in the past. So how do you go about building those relationships? Yeah, what I've found with those types of relationships that I've built over my career, they've all been built on respect because I treat those people just like anybody else. Right. I've always approached, I don't care that you're a professional athlete. I don't care that you're a musician. Like you're just like me, you're no better or no worse. We're human beings and I can help you solve the problems you have but I'm not going to put you on a pedestal because you played a sport for a few years. Right. I'm also not going to treat you any worse. So it's really, I've just always taken a very authentic approach with these people and they appreciate it because most people like put them on this pedestal and then try and take advantage of them. Well, and part of your job with them is they've probably retired from those professional sports and they're starting a new chapter in their lives. And I know I've heard that, you you know, you kind of help them, start new businesses or advise them in, you know, some capacity. And you've essentially got to get them, um, to start over and eventually essentially get comfortable with not being awesome. (laughs) You know, they've got to start over. So how do you get people comfortable with starting fresh and kind of adopt, readopting that growth mindset? That that's a challenge, but again, it comes down to me being very real with people. And I, I tend to just tell people, look, that was then, this is now. You know, if you think just because you were successful on the field means you're going to make it in business, you've got another thing coming. Now, you're now playing on my field and it takes experience. And you've got to do that. You've got to, you know, go through the rites of passage. You've got to put in the time. You've got to learn. You've got to be humble. You have to have humility. And the ones, I, I always say the athletes or the entertainers that are most successful in the business world post career are the ones that have that humility, that have that ability to, you know, start over or become, have that beginner's mindset and not think just because they played at X level on the field, that they're going to be playing at that level in other realms. And it's just really breaking it down to them and saying, look, you know, I'll help you, but you've got to start from the beginning. There's a lot we have to learn. How do you, so if somebody's wanting to start something new, you know, maybe they think they've got what it takes. Maybe they don't. On a interview that I heard you talking on, you and the lady were talking about, you know, if she's four foot tall, there's no way she's going to be an NBA star. She's just not right. tall enough. Right. And so how yeah. do you know when you have a real limitation in life versus like a self-limiting belief um, where you just think you're not good enough? No, I mean, so that's a great question. And, you know, there are limitations in limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. So limiting beliefs are things that we tell ourselves that we can control. Okay. Right. So I can control certain things in my life. I know I'm a five foot eight stockier guy that will never play in the NBA. I just, I'm not built for it. I have a limitation. Right. I'm not physically built for it nor did I have an interest in it. The limiting beliefs are if I told myself, you know, I can't put in the effort to do something because of X, Y, or Z, I'm limiting myself by what I'm talking to myself about or what I'm telling myself. 
And it's a big distinction people have to make, you know, and again, that, that comes, this all couples back to that vulnerability, right? I have to be vulnerable enough to admit it's just never going to be for me. You know, I played baseball my whole life. I was a good ball player. I was never going to make the major leagues. Right. But I just wasn't given that natural talent first. And I worked hard, but I didn't want to play. So I didn't work as hard as I should have. Right. I didn't want to play majors. I didn't want to go, you know, after high school and then play in the major leagues. So it was, and I just maybe wasn't built for it. There are certain things, you know, I don't have 20, 20 vision. So I was never going to be a pilot. And there are just certain limitations we have as individuals that you have to just know about and be okay with. Some of these similarities the, are crazy uncanny because I played baseball in high school yeah. um, and I put in a lot of hard work. I think my dad wanted it more than I did, but I had a lot of fun. Yeah. But, I, you know, he's like, maybe you can get a walk on scholarship and then switch over to football. And I'm like, I just, I know I'm not that good and I don't want it bad enough to be that good. Yeah. And, exactly. I, you know, I took the, uh, the military test. I forget what it's called, but I wanted to be a pilot too. And they were like, man, your eyes are pretty bad. There's, there's no way you're going to be a pilot, you know? Right. So well, that, I mean, I, you know, I had, I had eye surgery twice. And I was born cross-eyed. So I had eye surgery when I was two. Then again, when I was eight, but you know, watching Top Gun as a kid, you know, my, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I wanted to yeah. be Tom Cruise until I remember hearing, well, pilots have to have 20, 20 vision. Mm-hmm. And that dream was gone. And it was okay because that was a limitation. It wasn't a limiting belief. Right. And limitation that I had, I couldn't do it. And it sounds like you were meant to do much bigger. Not that obviously piloting in the air force right. isn't a big thing, but right. you know, you have big things too. You're spreading this message and, and that's hu- making a huge impact on the world. Yeah. That's what, that's what, that's what I'm hoping. I, I always say if I can impact one person, that's what matters. And if it ends up being a lot more than that, then great. But if I can change one person's life by just what I say, what I do, you know, then it's all worth it to me. Awesome. Well, talk, you know, talking about your message again, I know you mentioned at the beginning of the, uh, the conversation here that you mm-hmm. just spoke at TEDx in Canada. Yeah. And so the main thing about daily new years, you know, I got tired of waiting for new years every year, starting right. a re- start, you know, putting forth a resolution and not carrying it through. So I just had this idea of being better every day, you know, working on yeah. some, new goals every day. So I talk a lot about goals and mm-hmm. that I think I read, you had that goal for, <clears throat> excuse me, you had that goal for two years. Yeah. How the heck did you approach a goal that big, stay focused for that long? Like what strategies did you use to stay focused? So one, I write down my goals every single morning, every single morning I write, I sit down You know, I have my, I have my morning routine that I follow. And part of that routine is writing down my goals. And I'm a firm believer that when we write down our goals, our subconscious mind tends to work in the background. Right. So I can't tell you that I did this X, Y, and Z to make sure I, I knew that I had a message to spread. I didn't know what the message was at the time, but I knew that was a goal. Like I want to be, I, I want to have an impact. And I knew a way to have an impact was to speak on a 10 X stage. So that made that a goal. And because I made that a goal, and the goal was about the impact, the world started to unfold for me. I got you. You know, I, I started speaking more and getting more opportunities. And I started speaking to these kids. And then that one talk with those kids made me realize this is the message. Because it's been my guiding principle, but but I didn't realize it was a message to spread until I realized that no one's talking about it. And that's and it's just kind of, you know, that's why all even people I coach, I say, look, you 
you have to write down your goals because well, and you start planning how to do them, right? Like I had to do certain things. I had to build my own personal brand. I had to go out and speak more to get attention. I had to apply. I had to go through the process. You know, those are the process goals. But sometimes it, it just takes that start of writing the goal down consistently. Every single day when I write that down, and I'm a firm believer in the subconscious mind, and, and it's, it's such a powerful thing. By writing down that goal, my mind is working. It's finding opportunities. It's putting the pieces together because we create this gap, right? I don't know if you ever looked into like, you know, neuroscience, and that was, you know, it was a psychology undergrad degree, and I had a class on neuroscience, and it talks okay. about that, that gap between the conscious and the subconscious mind. If, you're sub, if you start programming your subconscious mind, with certain things, but in your conscious mind, they're not there. Your brain has to bridge the gap. So it starts moving the things in the subconscious forward and it starts doing everything it can to connect that to the conscious brain. Okay. So, so that's why writing down goals is so important because you're creating that subconscious programming every single day, every single day, every single day. And now you're creating this gap in your brain that your brain has to close. Okay. And that's what it does. And that's why it's such a power. I look at all my goal journals over the years, 90, 95% of the things I wrote down, I accomplished. Wow. 90 to 95% success rate. So for every 10 goals you write down, you know, you're accomplishing nine, almost all of them, almost all 10. So that's incredible. I've never looked at the neuroscience side of goal setting or how, you know, like you said, your brain fills the gaps between the subconscious and conscious mind, but I'm going to certainly research that uh, now that you've told me about it for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because I, I go down to the rabbit hole sometimes because I, I just love it. And it's so interesting when, you, when we realize like how learning works and how the brain works, you know, the way kids learn today is 20th century learning. It's not how our brain really operates. Right. But, we, but no one's ever shifted the way we teach kids or the way we learn information. And once you start understanding how the brain works, you start synthesizing information differently and doing things differently. I mean, you could do a whole lot more than you possibly can right now. I can tell you that. Yeah. So you, every morning you write down all your goals. So for two years, you wrote down speak on a TEDx stage. Yep. Until I got it. Wow. I write down 10, 10 goals is what I write down there. So they could 10 goals and I break my goals down into like short, mid and long-term goals. Like my, you know, my one to six month goals, like the, the, the immediate goals, the ones that I want to get accomplished in a year. And then my, you know, one to three year goals. I, you know, I, sometimes I have like three or four of each and I just write those down. And, and what I do is I, I write them down. I write them down. I don't look back at the page before because sometimes they change. Right. And I've, I've read something about that, you know, like doing it from memory really, mm -hmm. really helps. Um, Absolutely. And then if you forget one, maybe, you know, you need to kind of think about why didn't I remember that goal? Maybe I don't really exactly. want that or maybe it's just not important anymore. Um, exactly I right. use a quarterly planner and so I write my annual goals down in the beginning mm -hmm. And, you know, I put a star next to the ones I'm going to work on that quarter. And then so every Sunday I write down my big three for the week. And then every day I write down my big three for the day. It gets a little tough, though, because when you think about your big three for the day, sometimes mm -hmm. I've got three or four big things just at the office to do. And I can't really make right. any progress on my actual goals. So, yeah, I don't write down my long term goals every day. But, man, that sounds like something to try, though. 
I mean, I've, I've been doing it for years. And, and again, everybody has a different system, right? That's what works for me. And mm-hmm. I, cause I have this morning routine, you know, I, I write down my goals. I write down three things I'm grateful for. And I journal for, you know, a page in my journal and I write down three or four affirmations. I actually write down the affirmations. I also say them to myself, but I actually write them down. I'm a firm believer of the, of the pen and paper is powerful. Oh, the yeah. action of writing. And that's why every single, now, now granted, I miss some mornings. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I, I do it 365 days a year if I'm busy or if I went out the night before and had a few drinks and I woke up late and, you know, those things happen. But right. it's a powerful thing when you do it because, and what, like you said, when you do it for memory, it causes you to really figure out what's really important. Yeah. TEDx was important to me. I wrote it down for two years. I didn't miss a day. That's how I knew it was important. That's why it happened. There were other goals I've written down that three months later, I don't write them down anymore because they're not that important. Right. So writing that down for two years, how did you, you know, keep from getting discouraged? Did you want it just that badly and you kept going or did you have some ups and downs along the way? What kept you from quitting? So, so with something like that, I looked at it was, it wasn't a goal. It was going to hit in the next three months. So I knew it was a longer term goal. And I just, I just trust the process. You know, I trust the universe. I trust karma. You know, I believe in those things that I think when you want something bad enough and you believe in it in your heart that you're meant to do it, the universe has a funny way of working things out. What's the law of attraction, right? What you put out there, it, you'll you'll have come back to you. It, it is. I mean, I, I you know, I'm not one of those people that says, "Oh, watch the secret if you believe it." Or, you know, you there's you still have to take action, right? Oh yeah. What, what the law of attraction I think sometimes leaves out is the actual work that's involved to do the stuff or to get the stuff you want. Yeah, I you always know, I say that action and momentum are like the biggest keys to success yes. uh, because you got to have that action to get started and then you got to build momentum. Yes. You know, you can't just do one thing, take action yes. and stop and then, you know, start again momentum later. Momentum is yeah. so important. And that's, that, that's amazing that you say that because it's, people don't get that. I'm like, you have to keep the, and, and when I tell my, my clients that I coach, I said, look, I, even a small action every day towards your goal keeps the momentum. Oh yeah. You don't have to do grand things every day or every week to move the needle. If you're doing consistent small actions, it's not about intensity, it's about the consistency. I could spend a day doing a ton of stuff, but if I don't do anything tomorrow, I lose the momentum. Or I could do a little bit today, a little bit tomorrow, a little bit the next day, and I build the momentum. Yeah. People, people, you know, they get behind like, okay, I'm gonna spend nine hours today, you know, blogging and doing videos and doing all this stuff and creating all this content. And then the next few days don't do anything. They lose the momentum. Right. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. And this is my first time using zoom. It told me there was a 40 minute limit. So I don't know if it's going (laughs) to just completely cut out at 40 minutes. Um, Uh, Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question, (laughs) but I do want to be respectful of your time. So uh, my last question, just because you had my interest peaked again, this is another kind of uncanny similarity on your, on your about page. You said that you broke a state powerlifting record. Um, Can you tell me about that? Cause man, I worked for a couple years towards the 1250 club at my local gym. And that was a self-limiting belief for me. I was like, there's no way I can ever deadlift 575 pounds. There's no way. And I did yeah. it and I was so impressed with myself. Uh, but can you tell me about crushing that record? 
Yeah. So it was, you know, be, between college and law school, I took a year off and worked as a personal trainer. And the gym where I worked, you know, a world record powerlifter was one of the trainers there. And he just took a liking to me. You know, I have, uh, you know, I'm a shorter guy. I have longer arms. I'm perfect body for deadlifting. And he saw that I was strong and I was a workhorse. So he just started training me. And I only ever did one powerlifting. This was the only meet I ever did. It was the AAU in like Clearfield, Pennsylvania. I was in the junior division. I was, what, 22 years old at the time. I think it was either the 181 or 198 weight class. And, you know, I was a, I was a decent bencher, but I had long arms. So I never I was never a 400-pound bencher. I had a good squat. But then deadlift, it was a raw event, so no straps, no anything. Mm-hmm. You get three attempts. So I, I got up my, my third attempt. I think I hit 575 or 580. And I was like, cool, like, awesome, I'm done. And Mike was his name. He said, you're doing one more. I'm like, I said, I only got three. He said, no, you're going to break a record. I'm like, okay. I'm like, how much is it? I'm not going to tell you. He said, just pull the weight. So he didn't tell me what the weight was. Okay. That was the key. He just said, go do what you do. Just go pull the weight like you just did. And so to me, there was no limiting belief. Right. I was just going and doing what I just did. Regard, so I didn't know what the weight was, and it was—I th- I think it was five seventy-five was my first attempt. The record—the uh, record I had was five eighty-five, and that's that not was the record. A, that was the record, yeah. Man, I need to look up the records here in Missouri then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, this was like this was—you know—how many years ago? Almost twenty years ago. Oh yeah, true. Um, true. And it was the AAU was the conference, and it was you know it was a raw event, and it was the junior division. It was cool, but it was awesome. Like it was, it was one of those moments where. That kind of made, when I look back on that, that that's that limiting belief. You know, it, it's an example of it. Like, I didn't have a limiting belief. Like, if you would have told me you're going to do 585, I'd have like, I never even got close to that in training. I'm like, there's no way in hell I'm going to do this. Right. But he just said, you get a fourth attempt because you're going to break. You, he told me you're going to break a record. Not you're going to attempt to break a record. Because you're going to break a record. So just go over there and pull the weight. Yeah. And that's exactly what this Went over there, said, cool, pulled it. Got all green lights and that was it. Then he told me how much it was. That's cool. A guy helped me get over a bench press uh, plateau once by doing that. He said, I'm just going to load it up. You just press it. Don't worry about it. it yeah. You know, it could be the same thing you've been pressing. <laughs> so I, I right. pressed it and he's like, there you go. It was just in your head. And I'm like, man, it really was. You, you kind of set your own status quo and then yeah. that just kind of becomes the glass ceiling, so to speak. Well, I mean, I, I mean, what I think fitness is the best example to use when you're talking about limiting beliefs, because you know we limit ourselves when it comes to you know physical fitness. I can't bench that, I can't squat that, but if I don't know how much it is, I tend to do it. Like running, I hate running. Yeah, but you know, I was going to do a marathon. But me and a guy were training a couple of years ago, and the longest run I ever did was like four miles. We went out and ran eleven miles one day. Like I didn't train for, but I didn't know how long we were running because he was keeping track on his phone. I was just running and talking with him. Right. But I, but if you would have told me at the beginning of the day that we're running 11 miles, I would have got my car and went home. Yeah, I'm with you, you know, there. there I'm, no I'm not a great runner. No, <laughs> neither am I, but, but I made 11 miles that day. Yeah. There's a guy at the gym that covers up his treadmill with a towel so he can't see the digits. He just sets it oh, yeah. and starts running and you know, jamming to his music. And Yeah, a lot of people do that I see at my gym. Yeah, if you can't see the numbers, you're not like, oh my gosh, I've been at this for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cardio is always a tough thing to do. We, you know, us bigger yeah. guys hate it, but I do it every day. So. Yeah. 
Well, Rocco, man, I've enjoyed this conversation. I want to be respectful yeah. of your time. And unfortunately, I, I got a meeting coming up that I need to, to yeah, run to. But before we jump off here, you know, yeah. where can people connect with you? Well, you can definitely go to my website, just roccocoza.com, R-O-C-C-O-C-O-Z-Z-A.com, or Instagram and Facebook are where I'm really active. Instagram is where I'm most active, and that's just, you know, the Rocco Coza, all one word. That's where you can find me. And then if you check me on LinkedIn, just search my name, Rocco Coza, you can find me there. They tend to be all over the social platforms, except for Snapchat. I'm not really there. Yeah, I've tried that one a couple times, and I just can't get what it's all about. <laughs> no. no, my son has it. His friends all use it, so I kind of got to keep tabs on him by being on the platform, but I don't right. use it very often. Cool. Well, yeah. awesome, man. Thanks so much for spending the time with me today. And you know, if oh, we can ever, pleasure. if we can ever connect again in the future, I'd you yeah know, love to do something. Absolutely. I would definitely do that. Absolutely. And I really appreciate the time. This was a great interview, great questions. And you know, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your day and uh, have a great weekend this coming weekend. You too, my friend. All right. Take care. So there you have it. My conversation with Rocco Coza. Be sure to check out the show notes, connect with Rocco, visit his website, connect with him on social, uh, maybe reach out to him and have a conversation. He's just a really cool guy fun guy to chat with. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you did get some value out of the episode, please consider sharing it with a coworker, family member, close friend, somebody in your circle that you think would benefit from hearing these types of conversation about goal setting, achieving success, uh, and just being better every day. Like I always say, you're just one goal, one action away from achieving greatness in your life. You just have to take that first step. You have to take that first action towards your dreams to get the process and the momentum started. So take that action in your life today. And until next time, take care.